Hey everyone, and welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, hosted by me, Holly Hughes, with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory agency of the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we conclude Season 1 of Plant Industry News with a 2019 recap of events between DPI Director Dr. Trevor Smith and the Florida State Plant Health Director Richard Miranda of the USDA. Enjoy this conversation between colleagues as they reflect on some of the major events DPI and the USDA collaborated on during 2019. Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. Well, happy 2020, DPI. Uh, This is Trevor Smith, the director, and we are going to be talking about kind of a year-end review today of 2019. And today we actually have a special guest, former DPI employee, who will now introduce himself. Good morning, everyone. I hope the voice sounds familiar. This is Richard Miranda, and I send you greetings and excited to have been invited uh, for this episode. So, tell us about the new job. What is it you do? What's your title? And then we can talk about how you and I work together. All right. I am now at just under two years as the Florida State Plant Health Director with USDA APHIS PPQ. And I'm sure most people listening are familiar with what those acronyms mean. So PPQ is Plant Protection and Quarantine, obviously. You know, w- within APHIS, uh, I'll just give a little bit of a background on PPQ for, for those that may not be as familiar with our structure. Under the APHIS umbrella, we have 10 programs, and the largest of all of those programs is uh, PPQ. And so uh, Plant Protection po- and, and Quarantine has a very similar mission to DPI, uh, very similar. You know, we're here to protect uh, our nation's natural and, and commercial grown uh, agricultural resources. And, you know, we do that through, through various means. We do that through, through, obviously, through inspection. We do it through, uh, through our scientific community, things like that. We leverage partnerships with other you know, regulatory agencies, with the land-grant universities, and with private stakeholders. So, again, very similar to the DPI mission, I think, maybe it's important to highlight maybe where we are different. There's two distinct differences. The first difference is that DPI obviously is primarily, and rightfully so, primarily concerned with Florida's borders. You know, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services is concerned with keeping invasive plant pests and diseases out of Florida. And I am too, except, you know, my mission is is a little bit larger in scope. So my mission statement calls for keeping plant pests and diseases out of the nation's agricultural resources. But being the state plant health director of Florida, I do that by trying to keep those pests and diseases out of Florida. Florida being the uh, entryway or the doorway to the rest of the nation, um, obviously is a sentinel state, uh, but coupled with uh, Texas, California, and maybe New York, those are the big entryways into our nation. And so those are also what we call the super state on the federal side. They're the largest states with the most employees on the PPQ side. So our missions are very similar, but 
our mission in PPQ is, of course, at a national scope. The second difference, which I think is probably the larger difference, is DPI is a domestic uh, or domestically centric agency. So uh, almost all of the operations are focused on domestic inspections, be it through nurseries and, and groves, uh, interdiction stations, things like that. We are kind of split. So in PPQ Florida, uh, we have right around 300 employees. So we're almost exactly half the size of DPI. But when, when you look at it from the number of inspectors that we have out there, it's actually very similar because we're relatively close to the Bureau of Plant Inspection in size. But we have domestic inspection as well as port operations. So I've got about a third of my staff working out of the Port of Miami, Port Everglades, Port of Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, um, and various others. So there are 26 and soon to be 27 air and seaports in Florida. And so part of my mission, unlike DPI, is also to work those ports. So we're trying to keep those pests and diseases out of Florida by conducting inspections and outreach at the actual ports, both commercial and passenger baggage. So maybe that's kind of a long way around my introduction, <laughs> but I wanted to incorporate a little bit about you know the PPQ mission and and you know what we do for those that maybe not may not be as familiar. Well, and I think it's one of the things that always sets us apart, and I say this all the time at the national level is the fact that those lines do get blurred for us here in Florida. I mean, you have programs like the Fruit Fly program yeah. or CHIRP yeah. uh, or CAPS or a lot of these programs where PPQ and DPI are literally doing the same jobs uh, working side by side. And I don't think there's maybe the super states are probably the only ones where you really have things like that going on in the field. Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, I derive great pleasure from saying that we are still unlike any other state. That was true when Richard Gaskello was the director. It's true as you know, with Trevor as the director. We kind of stand out nationally as the state that uh, exemplifies the Spudsboro relationship. Um, so yeah, the super states do have more of that relationship between the state and the feds. But I got to tell you, and, and, and this is this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but it's true. I've I've spoken to state plan health directors of other states where they've told me that they have to drive two hours, two and a half hours to meet with their SPRO or, or vice versa. And, you know, the fact that I've got to drive 15 minutes to get here to come to your office uh, or vice versa is wonderful. We don't know yet what the future holds, but my intent is if it works out is to even close that even further and, and have us work even closer. The lines are blurred in, in some areas, and I don't mean that as a bad thing, I think we do a really good job of leveraging that and making sure that we check with each other, we share information where obviously where it's, you know, legally we can do that. But yeah, the, the missions are so very similar. I, I don't, honestly, I don't know why other states don't do it. I mean, the, the missions are similar, but but for some reason, the other states are just not able to to make it work the way Florida does. And I'm very proud that that relationship that existed between your predecessor and my two predecessors, we've been able to maintain that and yeah. continue. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I could probably be accused of being a little too prideful about that myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite subjects. Absolutely. Um, I, it, but, you know, that's one of those things where 
we've got that culture going back a long ways, but I think the other component of that is, you know, we talk about what 30 or more new records a year mm -hmm. in Florida. You know, every month we've got several new pests that show up. There really isn't any room for us to be territorial. I mean, we either work yeah. together or this whole thing falls apart. I mean, we're hanging on, clinging with our fingernails, you know, trying to stay ahead of these things. But if we weren't working together, I mean, it just, it would fall apart anyway. I mean, there's only one way to do this in Florida, and this is the way to do it. It's to have a really tight relationship, share as much information as we can. And like you said, we can still improve. There sure. are some... There are some areas that are outside of your control, yeah. and that is, you know, one of the issues with a larger, you know, governmental organization like this. There's a lot of red tape, yeah. a lot of laws that come into play with information sharing. Sure. So that's something you and I have talked about for years that we want to continue to chip away at. Right. Yeah, that that's actually been one of the biggest adjustments for me is going from FDACs, which I in my opinion, it was a huge organization. <laughs> and then I, I jump over to PPQ and, you know, the USDA has 106,000 employees all over the world. I mean, this is, this is an enormous organization. But, you know, an organization of that size has its pros and its cons, obviously. An organization of our magnitude has lots of resources, which is great, but then also a lot of red tape, like you just said. A lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of rules and regulations and things that we can't do. And for the life of me, a year and a half on the job, I can't figure out why they exist. So, you know, yeah. that's going to happen. But I think as long as we are aware of that and kind of take things with a grain of salt, keep our uh, lines communication open, keep the relationship strong, I, I think we can overcome those things. I, I don't know that they're too much of a barrier. All right. I think we can make it work because we have... So far. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and in fact, maybe that's a good segue to talk about some of the things we did in 2019. Absolutely. I mean, this, just like every other year, it's a busy year. This is the year-end review. Uh, so, yeah. um, I mean, one that jumps out at me right away is, is the tomato brown rugos fruit virus, which will hereby be known as the tomato virus. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's, too, it's a mouthful. That was, uh, you know, I've talked about this in podcasts before, uh, so most everybody at DPI is aware of that situation. But just to kind of recap it, I mean, that was something that we actually had the growers come to us and say they were concerned about this virus being, you know, showing up in Mexico. So we kind of had some cross-training. We had people out there looking at tomatoes and various grocery stores and retail outlets. And it was actually a UF professor that actually found a suspect sample, sent us, we confirmed it, and then it kind of snowballed from there. We started finding it in lots of different retail outlets. Then we got concerned about, you know, the actual plant material in the field and our, you know, the number one tomato industry in the United States is right here in Florida. Yes. So we started looking in the field and then again, it just, we, we started finding it in, in community gardens then we've had some, we've picked it up in some nurseries. But anyway, started with the growers, moved over to DPI. As soon as we got involved, we gave you a call. We had Sitsi get involved. And then from there, we've been, uh, we've been able to initiate a, a nationwide survey uh, looking for this particular disease in tomatoes, eggplants, peppers around the, the country. Yeah, this is a virus that obviously we're, we're all very concerned about. It's a huge industry here in Florida. And so from the Florida perspective, it's something that we're extremely concerned about. The industry obviously is concerned about it. It's 
still ongoing. We're, we're still waiting on some results from labs and things like that. It's probably our most recent pest of the day. So that one isn't resolved and we're still working on it. You know, from the national perspective, this virus is, you know, we're not only concerned about Florida's industry, we're also concerned with international trade. And so, you know, earlier when I described the differences between our two agencies, I'm not sure that I reached my point all the way. We're also concerned with international trade. That's one of the things that makes my job very, very difficult is I have to walk a very delicate line between decisions that are exclusionary in their goal in keeping pests out while also facilitating trade. So we regulate things coming in, but we also have to facilitate import and export. So that makes it a very difficult... Uh, it's an uh, interesting balance. It is very, it's a very difficult thing to do. So back to this tomato virus, we are concerned about Florida's industry, but we're also concerned about allowing our private stakeholders to be able to bring tomatoes in from other countries and you know, keep those markets open. So this is definitely a virus that we're concerned about. Yeah, and the fact that this is another great example, too, on the laboratory side of things of us working together, because in this case, it was actually our virologist here mm -hmm. that had a little more sensitive testing procedure than the USDA had at a national level, and we offered to share that. And the folks with S&T at USDA called down, worked with our virologists, and adapted their testing procedure to ours, uh, which is a more sensitive test. So again, no need for territoriality here. We got, uh, we've all got different skill sets, and we just need to use each other accordingly. From a very selfish perspective, I appreciate that. <laughs> DPI is always very, very generous uh, in sharing those things. And nationally, it's recognized. DPI's Bureau of Entomology, Nematology, Plant Pathology, and you know, Systematic Botany. Have we got a shorter name for that yet? we got to work on that. Um, and we, keep, we keep trying to just call it diagnostic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somebody <laughs> just gets mad about that. Just decides Take it personally. Enough. So we'll just keep calling right. it everything. So, so DPI's uh, Diagnostics Bureau is, is nationally recognized. And I, for one, really appreciate that you guys are always willing to kind of lead the way and show us the way in, in many instances. So what's another one? Well, let's talk about giant African snails. That's always a popular one. So we have, you know, a couple of things. We, are, we were able to decommission uh, one full core this year and, and a few properties. So maybe one and a half core, I, I guess, is a <laughs> way to say that. The big news or the, the big deal there is, is we're down to single digits now in, in our cores. But when you consider that we had, you know, almost three dozen <laughs> cores, it, it's incredible. And, and no one, except for those of us in Florida, and I'm talking about nationally, like, no one outside of Florida believed that we could do this, that this could be accomplished. In fact, I would even say that there were a couple of people within Florida that didn't think we could do this. And so it, it really says a lot that we continue to decommission cores. We haven't found a live snail in now over two years, is it? December 2017. There it is. The last live snail. So over two years without finding a live snail, I'm really excited about that. Now, having said that, we haven't found a live snail in the program in Miami. <laughs> right. However, we had two instances in 2019 where we had uh, snail introductions into Florida. So the first one of those occurred in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we found out through an anonymous tip that there was a lady who was rearing giant African snails at home to sell online. And so that was uh, funneled down through our SITSI uh, staff, and we began an investigation, obviously contacting uh, the Division of Plant Industry, partnering with DPI staff, 
also partnering with Ag Law in this particular instance, beginning our investigation, interrogating this lady, uh, visiting her property, obviously. And we were able to confiscate over 200 giant African snails from this lady's living room in Jacksonville. She had them in a fish tank. That then began, obviously, a, a trace forward where she gave up some properties where she claimed that she had given people snails or sold them. And so we had to chase that down. So, uh, you know, we went to Orange Park. We were in Orlando. We were in Tampa visiting other properties. And that investigation is still kind of ongoing. So we continue to, to chase those leads down. There was uh, some information that she gave about some giant African snails in Illinois and, and Texas. And, and so the Sitsi officers in those states uh, were engaged and brought into the fold. And so that's just, just another feather in our cap, another success. We were able to, to destroy all those snails on her property. We brought in the canines. Uh, it, it was a, a really a, a great team effort all around to uh, deal with this uh, unexpected incursion and to this day, we, we have not found another snail outside of, again, I guess, well, in Florida at all, right? once we got rid of those. Yeah, so, I, I think that's, I, this is one of those things we're going to be dealing with forever. I mean, I, I think we've talked about the giant African snail program, the eradication program in Miami. Obviously, at some point, we would like to see that come to an end to have eradication achieved, but... This is going to be a constant issue, whether it's giant African snails as pets, as we're discussing now, as food products for religious purposes, or just coming in on containers or something like that. We need to be ready to deal with this quickly and overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. um, so keeping a team active going into the future, kind of a snail team or a gastropod team, is really kind of part of our plan going forward. But, you know, that's kind of a nice segue into snails coming in on containers. Yeah, because that's a great segue. <laughs> the pet trade wasn't the only way we had a snail incursion this year. No. You know, I mentioned that our mission also is working at the ports. The second case that we had with uh, snails in 2019 involved a container ship uh, that was returning from Africa. Uh, it had gone over there on a humanitarian mission to deliver some food and was returning, luckily, with some empty containers. Now, they weren't clean the way they're supposed to be, so that, that was a problem. But they dropped off, I believe it was 84 containers at uh, uh, Port Canaveral before the ship left and headed to Houston, Texas. When those containers were inspected at Port Canaveral, already, of course, on land, we started to find not only giant African snail, but other mollusks on the outside of those containers. We immediately sent inspectors from both of our agencies in there, the canine team again. Uh, we went in there with molluscicides and both liquid and pelletized, laid out salt barriers, just really just a full court press on that port uh, to try to contain uh, any snail from escaping uh, that area. After we sent samples of these snails uh, to our malacologists, we found out there were actually four other highly invasive snail species, not just giant African snail, uh, in, that, in that group of, of snails that we were finding on these uh, containers. So that's just another example of, of how you know, these things can happen. Uh, they could come in through our ports on the outside of an empty container. You know, we're not even talking about you know, it came on food or anything. It, right. They were attached to the underside of these containers and it was over 300 snails. So again, we're not even just talking about one or two, there were hundreds of them. So these things can happen 
it just again speaks to the operational clip that you know it's a military term but the operational clip that we have uh, in Florida it's nonstop yeah. it's we're constantly looking over our shoulder i remember richard describing your role as the director as what keeps me up at night is what what are we not catching you know mm. we we do catch a lot but what are we not catching that's that's the question and and now that i'm in this role and working with you I understand that, you know, because these things, who would have expected something like this? Absolutely. So, you know, again, that partnership between our two agencies was critical in, in dealing with that pest. Let me throw one more thing at you that I completely forgot. That container arrived, I believe it was either 14 or 16 days before Hurricane Dorian. I was going to mention that, just yeah. add a little spice. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, it wasn't challenging enough. Right. <laughs> yeah, Category 5 hurricane was bearing down on us, too. Right. Not even heading towards Miami, heading right to Port Canaveral. That's where it was coming. Yeah. So we were, uh, you know, our staff, you know, some of the best in the world, they were out there up until the day before Hurricane Dorian, yeah. spreading uh, metaldehyde and and you know laying out salt barriers and and all that. And then, as soon as that storm passed, the very next day they were right back out there doing it yeah. again. So absolutely, it, it's just a really incredible uh, story and one more thing to be proud of uh, as it relates to our staff out there in the field. Absolutely. Well, and you know one of the things in two thousand nineteen that I'm happy to report we didn't have, which mm -hmm. is odd, and I'm knocking on wood, is we didn't have many fruit flies in 2019. No. So it actually gave us a chance to catch up on some, a little bit of fruit fly paperwork and some of the things we needed to work on going into the future. Uh, for whatever reason, we just had a quiet year last year. But like I said, it gave us a chance to work on some other fruit fly stuff. Uh, a much needed break, uh, <laughs> a breather, if you will. Yeah, it did let us catch up on some things. We were able to, to we, were, we were due to update our, our strategic plan uh, for Florida. Uh, so we now have a, a new five-year plan that we jointly uh, put together. And so, yeah, that was, that was great. I'm glad you knocked on wood. You know, it, it could be tomorrow uh, or, you know, well, Monday, you know, when we find out uh, we have another suspect fly and, and we have to stand up a program. Of course, we have a, a strategic uh, meeting coming up here right. uh, next week uh, where we will be talking about our, uh, our plans and our uh, readiness uh, for, for a program. So, you know, we're ever vigilant in that regard. So, but yeah. We're, I'm so happy we didn't have one in 2019, especially since I was brand new on the job. <laughs> 2019 is my first full year on the job. So. I, I, I didn't get so no, lucky. No, you'd had a couple of days. 2015, <laughs> I wasn't so lucky before no. we got plunged into the largest oriental fruit fly program in the history of the state. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was very happy that that, didn't, uh, that, that wasn't my experience. So. Yeah. Uh, very good. Well, we probably can't talk about 2019 without at least mentioning citrus. Everybody's aware of the ongoing battle with various exotic diseases and pests. And uh, one of the things we had this year, which we worked with you a little bit on this, Richard, but we worked at the, at the agency level mm -hmm. a lot on the craft program, right. which I've mentioned in podcasts before. And that's basically, I've said it before, but I think it's important to recognize that citrus in Florida is continuing to thrive. I mean, we had twice the box count this year than we had the year before. So yes, acreage has consistently gone down, but over the last 10 years, there's been enough research done that with the right best management practices, you can grow citrus in Florida despite 
the various diseases, including green. Can you find the right price point? I mean, that's the question, but it can be done. And that's basically what the craft program is all about. It's not only a research project, but it is an opportunity to show that you can replant large scale citrus. And with the right best management practices, you can have a productive growth. You just have to do the right practices. And the way the craft program works is it's federally funded. That funding comes through the USDA to the state and we pass it through to the growers. And they basically have to agree to do certain things, uh, whether that's reflective mulch or antibacterial sprays, but then they have to do like a split plot design. So half of what they plant, they'll do all those things. The other half, they won't do any of it. So that in a few years, we'll really be able to collect good data. I, I think that's an important project. It's not necessarily as sexy as giant African snails coming in on containers but it is a really important thing for our citrus industry. So much of it, just like the stock market and other things, so much of this is an emotional response. Sure. And if we can show that people are still investing in citrus, people still believe in it, the growers still believe in it, the federal government believes in funding it, the state government believes in funding it, I think that's just what the citrus industry needs right now. That's an excellent point. I mean, there is an optics, you know, element to this, and just like the stock market, and that's a great analogy, it, it does send a message and it, and it reassures the citrus industry that, you know, all hope is not lost. Citrus can be grown in Florida. I'm very happy that we're finally able to get craft off the ground. Uh, for the listeners that may not be aware, this took years to, to get to get going. Um, I want to say it was three, three and a half years in the making just because we had so many parts to it, so many, you know, multiple agencies, private stakeholders, government, university, the University of Florida was involved, uh, CRDF. There were so many moving parts to this thing and putting all of that together was a heavy lift. So in 2019, we were able to bring that in for a landing. So yeah, it's, you're right. Not, not as sexy as the, as a container ship or the smuggling, but I would say no less important to the future of agriculture here in Florida. All right. So I think that's a pretty good list for, for 2019 of the things that we dealt with, some of our successes, some of our challenges. And like I said, my first full year in my new position here, I spent 18 years with DPI and now I feel like I'm starting all over again with, <laughs> with the USDA. My first full year, it feels like a success. I attribute about half of that to our relationship with DPI, longstanding. You know, it's been in the making for many years. It is a delicate thing that uh, I was very happy to hear when you took over as director that you felt it was as important as I did. And then the other half is our employees. I attribute Absolutely. that our success, and again, my first year, my, my first successful year as a state plan health director to our employees. We have hands down the best employees in the world. We are the two best regulatory organizations on the planet. And, and that's our employees. We have some of the most dedicated, educated, experienced employees. Uh, I look in my agency, I look up and down the chain of command, and there are so many Florida people. Our, 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 our executive director for PPQ Field Operations uh, is a Florida guy. There are state plan health directors around the country that are Florida guys. You know, the spud of North Carolina, the spud of New York, the new spud of Georgia. All guys mm -hmm. that worked 
here in Florida, you know, a couple of those worked at DPI. So, you know, we are kind of the, the breeding ground where we set the standard and our employees out there in the field, they, they work so hard. I'm always afraid that they're not getting enough accolades. They're incredible. And, and I truly, truly value them. Couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I, that absolutely sets us apart. I also wonder, you know, it's one of those things where it's so hard to explain what you do. Yeah. To somebody that's not in our world. Right. So for anybody to really appreciate what our folks do, we need to be the ones to absolutely make sure they know. Yeah. You know, that we appreciate what they do because it is so a lot of what we do is just in the shadows. It's happening all the time, all around everyone. And they never know. They, that's just, right. they just go to Publix, yeah. they pick up their produce and they go home. Yeah. And throw half of it out. That's it. We're, yeah. the, we're the men in black. <laughs> you, you, we're, we're protecting you and you have no idea yeah. all the things that are happening behind the scenes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I think uh, going forward, I think, I think we already kind of hit on this, but I think the way we continue to just get better is communication. We're looking at joint training and a yep. lot of ways we've never really done before between uh, USDA and DPI. Yep. I mean, I know that sounds simple, communication, but how many plant board meetings have we been at where, I mean, they literally, the Spud and Spro don't talk to each other. Oh, yeah. That's the first time they've seen each other in six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you that don't know, at the Southern Plant Board meeting, the Spud and the Spro, we sit right next to each other. Yeah. And that was, a, that's a legacy of Richard Gascala. He believed that was important to show that united front. Sure. And again, comes back to Florida once again, being the ones leading the way. And I believe that too. I believe in that united front. Mm -hmm. But you can see they're just strangers sitting next to each other. Absolutely. And not too happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. You know, yeah, you you mentioned uh, some joint training. We have a couple of incident command exercises that we're we're planning for 2020. So great things on the horizon. Uh, Continue to keep our eye on the ball of plant protection here in Florida as a great partnership. You know, if I can borrow from the, the, the previous commissioner, no no disrespect to current, you know, Commissioner Freed. You know, Commissioner Putnam, when he came on board, I remember I was with DPI at the time, and one of the first things that he came on board with was, we're going to be one team, one uniform. Doesn't matter what division you're in, what office you work in, it's one team, one uniform. Well, now that I'm over here in this position, you know, I still have... I. <laughs> I still wear my DPI t-shirt under my USDA uniform. Uh, I still feel I'm, I'm a DPI in my heart. Um, but what I like to say now is, is we're one team, two uniforms. I, still, I do have to wear the USDA uniform, and, and of course DPI has their uniforms, but it really is one team with very similar missions. And I know you share this, this opinion because we've talked about it countless times. As long as we keep that as our focus, one team, two uniforms, I think we'll be successful and continue to protect agriculture here in the state. I think that's a great place to wrap up. I appreciate it, Richard. My pleasure. And uh, stay tuned, folks. You know, we wrapped up 2019, but 2020, I'm sure, will be just as busy as any other year. So I'll get back to you with a report from the director's office here shortly. Thank you. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it, and declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey, and remember, don't pack a pest. Now it's time for the Division Digest. 
In this episode, we have several employees we want to welcome and congratulate, as well as a very important announcement to update you on. First, we want to welcome Grace Williams to the position of Laboratory Technician 4 in the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control. She earned her Bachelor of Science degree in Environmental Science from Simpson College in Iowa. Grace joins us from the Florida Museum of Natural History, where she worked as a Butterfly Rainforest Production Assistant. She comes with a wealth of plant and insect-related experience. Please welcome her to DPI. Next, we want to congratulate Daniel Amon in his promotion to the position of Laboratory Technician 4 in the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control. He has extensive experience working in various biological control programs and is very close to completing his Bachelor of Science degree in Environmental Engineering at the University of Florida. Lastly, we want to congratulate Michelle Torado Hernandez on her move to personnel as an Administrative Assistant 1. Her educational background in human resources, bilingual fluency in English and Spanish, customer service experience, and knowledge from her time in the helpline make her a great fit for the personnel office. As a personnel administrative assistant, Michelle will be able to assist with OPS recruitment, career service and SES records, flexible schedules, outside employment, tuition waivers and reimbursements, Gator One cards, and personnel reports. Congratulations, Michelle. Finally, in accordance with the recommendation by Governor DeSantis, all DPI offices will be closed to the public through April 19th. Our inspectors, scientists, and staff remain operational and continue to protect Florida agriculture. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at fdax.gov. This podcast was produced by Holly Hughes. Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.